Welcome to Trifecta Now, Living a Course in Miracles. This is the 10th topic in the lessons episodes. How is healing accomplished? Healing is complicated, but it shouldn't be. We make it so. Healing is rooted in forgiveness and without totally letting go of what we cling to from our past or worry about in the future, then healing will be elusive and seem impossible. We truly do not grasp the power of our minds. We refuse to understand the strength of our convictions. We refuse to accept how connected our illnesses are to our minds. We believe that sickness just happens to us, misfortune or cards dealt. Imagine for a moment that we let it in, that we, on a subconscious level, wanted it to either punish ourselves or we were looking for something from it. I know this sounds harsh. And some will even think it's ridiculous. But is it? Most of us have known or heard of people who get diagnosed with a fatal illness, are given a time frame of how long they will live, then die almost to the day of that time frame. (laughs) Some may think that the medical profession is great at predicting outcomes, but that person accepted the outcome and the time frame. That person told themselves when their body was going to die. We've also heard the opposite. People being given a diagnosis then go home and live their life not believing it. And either they live years longer or totally heal themselves. In both scenarios, there is one common denominator, the power of the mind. When I looked through my edition of The Course in Miracles, I found lots of references to healing. Chapter 27 in the original text is dedicated to it. I'll share some of those excerpts. The workbook focuses a lot on forgiveness. The manual for teachers and the song of prayer give a lot of insight into healing. And I will share that. So if you go back to chapter 27 in the original text, um, it's located on my, in my book. I realize in my book clubs that people have different editions. So the pages could be numbered differently. So chapter 27 in my book is page 565. And I'm going to start with the, um, hmm, where did I start? It's a good question. I started with on paragraph, so it's page 566 is actually where I started. And I started on paragraph four, um, sentence three, it says, a sick and suffering you but represents your brother's guilt, the witness that you send, lest he forget the injuries he gave, from which you swear he never will escape. This sick and sorry picture you accept, if only it can serve to punish him. The sick are merciless to everyone, and in contagion do not seek to kill. Paragraph 5 starts with now in the hands made gentle by his touch the holy spirit lays a picture of a different you is a picture of a body still for what you really for what you really are cannot be seen nor pictured yet this one has not been used for purpose of attack and therefore never suffered pain at all it witnesses to the eternal truth that you cannot be hurt and points beyond itself to both your innocence and his Show this unto your brother who will see that every scar is healed and every tear is wiped away in laughter and in love. And he will look on his forgiveness 
and with healed eyes will look beyond it to the innocence that he beholds in you. Here is the proof that he has never sinned, that nothing which his madness bid him do bid him do was ever done or ever has effects on any of any kind. What that no approach he laid upon his heart was ever justified and no attack can ever touch him with the poisoned and relentless sting of fear. The next pa paragraph um, to go to is on the next page, which is 567, paragraph 7. The strongest witness to futility that bolsters all the rest and helps them paint the picture in which sin is justified is sickness in whatever form it takes. The sickness, the sick have reason for each one of their unnatural desires and strange needs. Paragraph 9 says, The function is to show your brother sin can have no cause. Your function is to show your brother that sin can have no cause. How futile must it be to see yourself a picture of the proof that what your function is can never be. The Holy Spirit's picture changes not the body into something it is not. It only takes away from it all signs of accusation and of blamefulness. Pictured without a purpose, it is seen as neither sick nor well, nor bad nor good. No grounds are offered that it may be judged in any way at all. It has no life, but neither is it dead. It stands apart from all experience of love or fear. For now it witnesses to nothing yet, its purpose being open and the mind made free again to choose what it is for. Now is it not condemned, but waiting for a purpose to be given, that it may fulfill the function that it will receive. The next page, which is page 568, my book, paragraph 11 says, The simple way to let this be achieved is merely this. Let the body have no purpose from the past when you were sure you knew its purpose was to foster guilt. For this insists your crippled picture is a lasting sign of what it represents. This leaves no space in which a different view, another purpose, can be given it. You do not know its purpose, but, sorry, you but gave illusion of a purpose to a thing you made to hide your function from yourself. This thing without a purpose cannot hide the function that the Holy Spirit gave. Let then its purpose and function both be reconciled at last and seen as one. The next section on that same page is called the fear of healing. Paragraph one says, is healing frightening? To many, yes. For accusations is a bar to love and damaged bodies are accusers. They stand firmly in the way of trust and peace, proclaiming that the frail can have no trust and that the damaged have no grounds for peace. Who has been injured by his brother or could love and trust him still? He is attacked and will attack again. Protect him not because your damaged body shows that you must be protected from him. To forgive may be an act of charity, but not his due. He may be pitied for his guilt, but not exonerated. And if you forgive his transgressions, you but add to all the guilt that he has really earned. Paragraph three says to witness sin and yet forgive is a paradox that reason cannot see for it maintains what has been done to you deserves no pardon and by giving it you grant your brother mercy but maintain the proof he is not really innocent 
The sick remain accusers. They for cannot forgive their brothers and themselves as well. For no one in whom true forgiveness rests can suffer. He holds not the proof of sin before his brother's eyes, and thus he must have overlooked it and removed it from his own. Forgiveness cannot be for one and not the other. Who forgives is healed, and in his healing lies the proof that he was truly pardoned and retains no trace of condemnation that he still would hold against himself or any living thing. Paragraph 4 says, Forgiveness is not real unless it brings a healing to your brother and yourself. And then the last part I'm going to share in that section is paragraph 5 says, A broken body shows the mind has not been healed. A miracle of healing proves that separation is without effect. What you would prove to him, you will believe. The power of witness comes from your belief. And everything you say or do or think but testifies to what you teach to him. Your body can be means to teach that it has never suffered pain because of him. And in its healing can it offer him mute testi testimony of his innocence. It is this testimony that can speak with power greater than a thousand tongues. For here is his forgiveness proven to him. The next section is called Beyond All Symbols. And it is on page 572. I'm going to start with paragraph two. You have decided that your brother is a symbol for a hateful love, a weakened power, and above all, a living death. And so he has no meaning to you, for he stands for what is meaningless. He represents a double thought where half is cancelled out but, but by the remaining half. Paragraph six says symbols which but represent ideas that cannot be must stand for empty space and nothingness. Yet nothingness and empty space cannot be interference. What can interfere with the awareness of reality is the belief that there is something there. Paragraph four says an empty space that is not seen as filled, an unused interval of time not seen as spent and fully occupied, become a silent invitation to the truth to enter and to make itself at home. No preparation can be made that would enhance the invitation's real appeal. For what you leave as vacant, God will fill. And where he is there, must the truth abide. Unweakened power with no opposite is what creation is. For this there has no symbols. Nothing points beyond the truth for what can stand for more than everything. Yet true undoing must be kind, and so the first replacement for your picture is another picture of another kind. The next paragraph is five. As nothingness cannot be pictured, so there is no symbol for totality. Reality is ultimately known without a form, unpictured and unseen. Forgiveness is not yet a power known as wholly free of limits. Yet it sets no limits you have chosen to impose. Forgiveness is the means by which the truth is represented temporarily. It lets the Holy Spirit make exchange of pictures possible until the time when aids are meaningless and learning done. And then on the next page, which is 574, paragraph 7 says, Forgiveness vanishes and symbols fade, and nothing that the eyes have ever seen or ears have ever heard remains to be perceived. A power wholly limitless has come, 
not to destroy, but to receive its own. There is no choice of function anywhere. <clears throat> the choice you fear to lose, you never had. Yet only this appears to interfere with power unlimited and single thoughts, complete and happy, without opposite. You do not know the peace of power that opposes nothing, yet no other kind can be at all. Give welcome to the power beyond forgiveness and beyond the world of symbols and of limitations. He would merely be, and so he merely is. And then the last part in this is called the example of healing on page 578. But I actually only want to quote two paragraphs in it, and that's on page 578. Eight, and that is on page 578. Sorry, the healing examples on page 576. And the part I want to um, quote is on 578. It's actually the eighth paragraph. And it starts with problems are not specific, but they take specific forms. And these specific shapes make up the world. And no one understands the nature of his problem. If he did, it would be there no more for him to see. Its very nature is that it is not. And thus, while he perceives it, he cannot perceive it as it is. But healing is apparent in specific instances and generalizes to include them all. This is because they really are the same, despite their different forms. All learning aims at transfer, which becomes complete within two situations that are seen as one, for only common elements are there. Yet this can only be attained by one who does not see the differences you see. The total transfer of your learning is not made by you, but that it has been made in spite of all the differences you see convinces you that they could not be real. And paragraph 11, which is the last paragraph in that section, but on the next page, says, Peace be with you to whom is healing offered. And you will learn that peace is given you when you accept the healing for yourself. Its total value need not be appraised by you to let you understand that you have benefited from it. What occurred within the instant that love entered in without attack will stay with you forever. Your healing will be one of its effects, as will your brother's. Everywhere you go, you will you behold its multiple effects. Yet all the witnesses that you behold will be far less than all there really are. This chapter identifies the need to let go of the past, let go of the hurt, the anger, the pain, and the misery you carry about another. When you let it go, you and everyone around you will see and feel the difference. Your body carries it around like this huge coat of armor, this heavy weight that is burdening and relentless. You cannot heal if you can't let love in. Fear is the block and guilt is its friend. Drop the weight and you will feel like you are reborn again. Clear the space and you will let all the love in that you blocked out. In the manual for teachers, there's a section on page 53 called What is the Role of Words in Healing? And I'm just going to go to it right now. What is the word of... Oh. There it is. That's on page 53. Did I say that already? I'm not sure if I did. 
that's on page 53. Paragraph 1 says, Strictly speaking, words play no part at all in healing. The motivating factor is prayer or asking. What you ask for, you receive. But this refers to the prayer of the heart, not to the words you use in praying. Sometimes the words and the prayer are contradictory. Sometimes they agree. It does not matter. God does not understand words, for they were made by separated minds to keep them in the illusion of separation. Words can be helpful, particularly for the beginner, in helping concentration and facilitating the exclusion, or at least the control, of extravenous thoughts. Let us not forget, however, that words are not symbols of symbols. They are thus twice removed, so that they are but symbols of symbols, sorry. They are thus twice removed from reality. Paragraph 2 says, As symbols, words have quite specific references. Sentence three four says, The prayer of the heart does not really ask for concrete things. It always requests some kind of experience. The specific things asked for being the bringers of the desire experience well sorry the specific things asked for being the bringers of the desired experience in the opinion of the asker the words then are symbols for the things asked for but the things themselves but stand for the experiences that are hoped for paragraph three sentence 10 says only the word of god has any meaning because it symbolizes that which has no human symbol at all the Holy Spirit alone understands what this word stands for, and this too is enough. Uh, the next part on the next page, actually, page 55, says, How are healing and atonement related? Paragraph 1, just the first sentence says, Healing and atonement are not related. They are identical. Paragraph 3 says, that forgiveness is healing needs to be understood if the teacher of God is to make progress. The idea that the body can be sick is a central concept in the ego's thought system. This thought gives the body autonomy, separates it from the mind, and keeps the idea of attack inviolated. Sorry, the idea of attack invalid. In the body, sorry, if the body could be sick, atonement would be impossible. A body that can order a mind to do as it sees fit could merely take the place of God and prove salvation is impossible. What then is left to heal? The body has become lord of the mind. How could the mind be returned to the Holy Spirit unless the body is killed? And who would want salvation at such a price? Paragraph 4 says, Certainly sickness does not appeal appear to be a decision nor would anyone actually believe he wants to be sick. Perhaps he, next page, page 56, can accept the idea in theory, but it is rarely, but it is rarely, if ever, consistently applied to all specific, specific forms of sickness, both in the individual's perception of himself and of all others as well. And paragraph six, sentence five says, a sick person perceives himself as separate from God. Would he see him as separate from you? 
It is your task to heal the sense of separation that has made him sick. It is your function to recognize for him that what he believes about himself is not true. It is your forgiveness that must show him this. Healing is very simple. Atonement is received and offered. Having been received, it must be accepted. It is in the receiving then that healing lies. All else must follow from this single purpose. Turn the page here. The Song of Prayer, which is at the very back of the manual I have, has a section called The Holiness of Healing. It's on page 20 of that section. And I'm going to read the first paragraph. It says, How holy are the healed? For in their sight their brother, brothers share their healing and their love. Bringers of peace, the Holy Spirit's voice, through whom he speaks for God, whose voice he is, such are God's healers. But they speak for him and never for themselves. They have no gifts but those they have from God. And these they share because they know that this is what he wills. They are not special. They are holy. They have chosen holiness and give up all separate dreams of special attributes through which they can bestow unequal gifts on those less fortunate. Their healing has restored their wholeness so they can forgive and join the song of prayer in which the healed sing of their union and their thanks to God. Paragraph 4 says, that's on page 21, says, You first forgive, then pray, and you are healed. Your prayer has risen up and called to God who hears and answers. You have understood that you forgive and pray, but for yourself. And in this understanding, you are healed. In prayer, you have united with your source and understood that you have never left. This level cannot be attained until there is no hatred in your heart and no desire to attack the Son of God. Paragraph 8, which is on the next page, page 22, which is actually the very last page. Start with sentence 2, says, Let me instead remind you of eternity, in which your joy grows greater as your love extends long with mine beyond infinity, where time and distance have no meaning. While you wait in sorrow, heaven's melody is incomplete, because your song is part of the eternal harmony of love. Without you is creation unfulfilled. Return to me who never left my son. Listen, my child, your father calls to you. Do not refuse to hear the call for love. Do not deny to Christ what is his own. Heaven is here and heaven is your home. Paragraph 9 says, Creation leans across the bars of time to lift the heavy burden of the world. Lift up your hearts to greet its advent. See the shadows fade away in gentleness. The thorns fall softly from the bleeding brow of him who is the Holy Son of God. How lovely are you, child of holiness. How like to me. How lovely I hold you in my heart and in my arms. How dear is every gift to me that you have made, who healed my son and took him from the cross. Arise and let my thanks be given you. And with my gratitude will come the gift, first of forgiveness, then eternal peace. Paragraph 10 says, Now return your holy voice to me. The song of prayer is silent without you. The universe is waiting your release because it is because its own. Be kind to it and to yourself, and then be kind to me. I ask but this, that you be comforted, comfort 
and live no more in terror and in pain. Do not abandon love. Remember this. Whatever you may think about yourself, whatever you may think about the world, your Father needs you and will call to you until you come to Him in peace at last. So tomorrow, start your day with a declaration of what you want it to look like. Pay attention to your thoughts. They are under your control. If you are struggling, ask for help. Continue finding the holy instant. Each day you find it, you will live in it longer. This will help to focus your mind on what you are seeing right now in the now. Help control your thoughts and keep them focused on what is happening right now. As you continue to evaluate your attachments and special relationships, ask yourself, what is it for? What is its purpose? Every human being is on their own journey. It's our faith in believing this and accepting it as our truth that shifts our perception and releases us from attachment. Forgiveness starts by letting go of the past. Whatever the theme is, ask yourself one question in relation to it. What's it for? If you can't find an answer, then it must not be as important as you imagine it to be. Why are you trying to relive or review your past? It's over. Let it go. Focus on what's good and find the positive in your day. For those people who are worrying about what is coming, that is equally distracting of the now. This is, a this is as dangerous as living in the past. Let it go. Fear does not exist. It is only real to you. You created it and you can undo it. Love is the opposite of fear. The Course suggests that the only correction for fear is love. It asks that you do not look for the root of the fear or try to evaluate why it exists. Just let it go. Judgment is a choice. You can choose simply not to do it. There is no good or bad judgment. Both have equal inequities and drawbacks. The answer is to not judge, but rather accept things as they are. Not good, not bad. It is what it is. Embrace the gift. Death is also a choice. Believe in its finality and you believe that you are disposable. Believe it's an ending and you believe you have no purpose. Believe in its illusion and you will always be afraid and feel misery. Choose life eternal and choose to embrace a path of love and joy. Choose life eternal and choose to never accept that anything is final. I'm in the, I am in the process of writing a book. It started as aha moments where I was just writing stuff down. Now it's become segments. It's looking a lot like a book. I want to share something I wrote just recently about healing. I called it Healing for Lent. Healing for Lent. It occurred to me that Lent should be a practice of 40 days of healing. In the Catholic Church, it is 40 days of punishment for the sins against the Son of God. That was never supposed to be interpreted that way. The resurrection was a teaching that we were eternal beings and will live on. We focused on the crucifixion because it was easier to add the burden of sin and the, and the guilt of retribution than a release from it. Healing is the letting go of all the hurts, pains, misery, and convictions we hold against one another. It is the light and love of who we really are as spiritual beings, no longer masked by the form of a body. Healing is a release and a willingness to empty our minds and hearts of its sadness and negative thoughts about one another. It sets us free. It allows us to live in the moment and free from restrictions of our past and burdens of what we think the future might hold. 
the color purple is currently the practice is currently in practice and use um, for the time of Lent. It represents pain and suffering that the crucifixion caused, and it also represents royalty, suggesting that some men are more powerful than others. I personally would replace it with the color white, specifically the white lily, which represents innocence and purity. We are innocent and pure. We always have been. If I had to create what Lent would look like, it would look like this. I'd begin it not on Ash Wednesday, another symbol of death, but on the 9th of February, February 10th, if it's a leap year, like this year. This day would be the start of the healing process. I would start by writing down what negative feelings I am holding on to, what hurts, what pains, and then I would burn them in a sacred fire. Each day after that, I would meditate and think only of what this moment is. Focus on this instant, the holy instant, and train my mind to stay there as long as possible. This is where peace and joy reside, and for those moments, I will live there. Each 10th day, which in this year it would have been February 19th, 29th, and March 10th, I would do an act of kindness and reach out to people I may have treated unfairly or with haste. I would apologize and let it go. These would be days of extension. It would be only three days for that entire time, and I'm sure we could do it during those three days. On the last day, which would be March 20th, and that is the spring equinox, I would hold a celebration of life, a gathering of souls here and gone. I would share food and stories about my journey of healing so others might learn and find new ways to heal themselves. I would offer thanks and appreciation for my life's journey, then try to continue this practice for the rest of the year. It could happen solstice to solstice. Okay, so next week I will talk about how is peace possible. This is our journey. Let's keep finding our way. Have a healthy and happy week and always love. Denise.